Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in here on Thursday, September 26th. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in here on Radio Adele and listening to me, Jeff Andreas, on The Jeff Andreas Show. Always a pleasure to be here. Got a good one lined up today. In about 10 minutes' time, I'll be speaking with the coordinator for this Saturday's Hops and Heisers event that's getting underway at 11 o'clock in the morning at MacArthur Island. Hops and Heisers is a disc golf tournament that will be taking place at the pretty much brand and new course on the island. Uh, it will be a doubles best disc event. So for anyone who has played in a best ball golf tournament, um, same idea, except instead of hitting a ball with a club into a hole, you throw a frisbee disc at a basket with chains. The event will consist of two divisions, one for those really out to compete and one for those who just want to give the sport a try. So I'll be speaking more about this with Elsa Poppleton about the event itself in a little bit. Now, before I run down the rest of the show, I did want to give a quick background on the sport of disc golf because it's something that I sort of fell in love with when I lived in Thunder Bay. Um, I lived a short walk from the local course there. It doesn't cost anything to play. All you need is a few of your own discs. And now, uh, you know, discs, of course, can range in price from like 6 to $30. But to start, it really doesn't matter what you have because you probably don't know how to throw it anyway. So just get the cheap ones and go from there and figure out if you like it like you would with any other sport. Now, I'm a big hockey guy and PS six days away from the NHL season. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But just thought I'd throw it out there. But naturally, as a hockey fan and, uh, you know, a hockey player, golf, of course, was always the sport of the summer. You know, nothing like getting out and hitting the links on a nice hot summer day with your boys. But uh, it costs a lot of money to golf. Like, when it's $60 for a cheap round, and then, you know, you might want to have a drink or two while you're out there. Maybe I want to rent a cart, have a bite to eat as the round takes like three or more hours. You know, it's like a $100 afternoon. I work in the radio business. That is a tough pill to swallow if I want to play, say, more than once in a while. So like I said, when I was living in Thunder Bay, I lived right near the local disc golf course. So I went, I bought a few discs, and I started playing. Now when you move to a new city with no one, you know, but yourself, it can be a pretty lonely experience. So having a free outlet for something to do was not only important, and also make sure I wasn't just sitting at home watching Netflix or rotting away on the couch, because that, uh, that does not help when it comes to creating a positive vibe in your life. But... It also did help me to make friends, which was the toughest part and is, in my opinion, the toughest part of moving to a new city. Some of the best people that I met in Thunder Bay, I met through playing disc golf. And I can tell you uh, that I have been out to the two courses here, and I haven't been here all that long, but I've already met a few pretty cool people out there. And I will say this, MacArthur Island, much more user-friendly than Rose Hill. Man, that place is tough. There's like five different pin placements for each hole. The brush up there is like looking for a needle in a haystack if your disc goes somewhere where you're not 100% sure where it went. It is tough. Very tough. It's fun. I'm not saying it's not fun. The views, incredible. Uh, it's just tough. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But uh, like I said, I moved to this city not that long ago, and uh, it's a great way to meet new people. Any kind of sport where you're meeting a bunch of people at one time is always fun. So, I mean, from a golf perspective, obviously you're just in a group by yourself or with one or two other people. It is an individual sport, so it's not necessarily the easiest way to, to get together with a group. But once you get out there, you'll find that there's, you know, a lot of great people 
just out doing the same thing, and you already have an automatic connection with the fact that you're both playing the same sport. So I uh, just uh, thought I'd give a little shout-out to the sport of disc golf because, uh, you know, it's not something that a lot of people are necessarily aware of. And, uh, yeah, definitely going to be talking more about the event itself coming up uh, in a little bit of time for those who are looking to, like I said, get together with a larger group. I mean, a tournament. It's hard to, hard to beat that in terms of getting together with a big group. Brief history of the sport, which I didn't really understand was Canadian until this morning. I'm not 100% sure we get all the credit for it, but apparently the first game of disc golf was held in Bladworth, Saskatchewan in 1926. Now, I don't know if this technically really counts as disc golf, but what happened was a group of elementary school students played by throwing tin lids into circles drawn in the sand. So, yeah, not really the same thing, but definitely the same idea. And I got to say, to be a young kid inventing games, I remember doing that as a child. But unfortunately for me, nothing I ever helped create became a pro sport or a mainstream sport. So, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't as cool as these kids from Bladworth, Saskatchewan. Uh, it has been decided, though, that come the 60s, multiple groups of people started playing the sport independently. So obviously this 1926 game that was invented on the schoolyard uh, didn't really last overly long. I'm not really even sure how we have a record of that, given that, you know, it was just a schoolyard game. But apparently it existed. And then uh, for about, what, 46 years, 36 years or so, 34 years, my math is not good, uh, just sort of disappeared. But then, it, come the 60s, multiple groups started playing this sport independently. There were groups in Houston, there were groups in Atlanta. You know, they would use things like fountains and trees as targets. Uh, and eventually, over time, obviously, those targets became baskets with chains. Come the 70s, modern disc golf would be introduced to Canadians at the Canadian Open Frisbee Championships, which occurred in Toronto and Vancouver. The sport has slowly grown in popularity since then. Uh, games played in about 40 countries worldwide and uh, currently over 115,000 active members of the Professional Disc Golf Association. Yes, the PDGA. I'm sure a lot of you out there are like, what the heck is this guy even talking about? Yes, no, it's a real thing. Trust me, look it up. So, if you want a chance to try out all of that, Maybe uh, do like I do and hope to make a few friends. You can check out Hops and Heisers this Saturday. It's all a part of Brew Loops, which of course is also taking place at MacArthur Island this weekend. So I'll be providing some more details on that event itself with the coordinator in a little bit. Other stuff for today's program. Uh, I have a conversation set up with the BC Green Party leader, Andrew Weaver. He addressed the Union of BC Municipalities yesterday. Uh, so I'll be talking more with him at around 9.35. Uh, you know, obviously yesterday was a bit of a contentious day at UBCM with the whole uh, logging trucker rally that took place. I don't know if you guys saw the pictures of what happened yesterday. Man, that was a long convoy that was heading from Merritt down to, uh, down to Vancouver. Definitely caused some disruptions when it comes to Vancouver traffic. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a sight to see. And uh, hopefully I can follow that thing up a little bit later. But that's not going to be happening on today's show, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, definitely would like to get some reaction. I did speak yesterday with uh, Howard McKimmon, who helped organize that rally. So if you want to check out that interview, uh, you can log on to RadioNL.com slash podcast and figure out a little bit more of what their plan was. Of course, like I said, I want to get some more reaction about what happened later. So hopefully we can get that done for our news run at some point today. Um, and then to end things off... I'll be speaking with a spokesperson for Clean Energy Canada as it relates to the election policies that have been announced as it relates to climate change. Now, um, when it comes to the Liberals, I know Catherine McKenna helped to unveil the Liberal Climate Action Plan earlier this week. McKenna, of course, was the, the Liberal Environment Minister. 
that we will also commit to reaching net zero emissions by 2050. So the Liberal plan also includes providing a 50% tax cut for companies that are working on zero emission technologies. So that's a big part of their environment plan. Looking at the NDP, they're vowing to reduce emissions in order to limit the global temperature increase to one and a half degrees above, or one and a half degrees Celsius, I guess, above pre-industrial levels. That uh, commits to a 37% reduction of emissions below 2005 levels by 2030. Here's Jagmeet Singh. Three specific commitments to electrify transportation, ending fossil fuel subsidies, ensuring that indigenous communities are equal partners in decision making on the front lines, and making sure we have a climate bank in place that increases investments in reducing our emissions, connecting energy that's clean across Canada. These are our commitments today. Now, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer claims that his party's plan is far more comprehensive and says that simply you cannot tax your way to a cleaner environment. First, we will implement green investment standards that require polluters whose emissions exceed strict limits to invest in emissions reduction technology specific to their industry. We will set this limit at 40 kilotons per year. And the Green Party may have one of the more aggressive plans here in this 2019 election. Among its policies would be to ensure that all new cars are electric by 2030. That seems like a tough task, uh, but definitely a, a, an ambitious one. Here's uh, Elizabeth May, Green Party leader Elizabeth May. What we're saying is, here are the steps we can take as a country to get to where we need to go. We start with the essential step of making sure that all the electricity we use comes from renewable energy. This is totally doable. Now, that was, of course, just a very brief snapshot into what the parties do have planned, but I will help to break down some of that in a little more detail to end off today's show. So, uh, yeah, if you want to know a little bit more about what's going on in the election when it comes to climate change, that is one of the bigger things that I have talked about on my show. Of course, there's a lot more issues in Election 43 than just the climate. Actually, I did a little bit of research and I found out that it's actually number three on the list of concerns that people have when it comes to the election. Um, if I just do a quick back look here, there was uh, uh, taxes was actually number four on the list of issues that people had concerns about uh, number two, I believe, was uh, housing and the, the cost of living and uh, health care, of course, was number one. Health care always seems to lead the way when it comes to concerns among the electorate, um, yeah, among the voting public. So there you have it. A lot of stuff that's going to be going on on today's show. So I'm really excited to bring some good stuff to you guys today here on Thursday, September 26th. So stick around. We're going to be talking a little bit more about disc golf if you haven't heard enough about that on the first half of the show. And then, of course, we're going to get into a little bit more serious issues come the back half. Uh, looking forward to my conversation with BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver. That's around 935. And then again, of course, Clean Energy Canada talking about climate change policies here in Election 43 coming up at around 950. Thanks again for tuning in and please don't go anywhere because we got some more good stuff coming up after the break so stick around your opinion call or text 250-374-5345 find us on facebook or on twitter at radio nl news this is jeff andreas on radio nl.com Hello and welcome back in here on Radio NL and thank you so much for tuning in. This weekend, Brew Loops is set to be taking place at MacArthur Island, but taking place Saturday morning in conjunction is a new event 
Hops and Heisers. What is it? Well, here to talk about it is Elsa Poppleton, coordinator for the event. Elsa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I guess we'll just start by maybe talking about the sport of disc golf. For those who aren't aware, it's a, it's a growing sport, and, and Hops and Heisers is uh, the name of this specific tournament. Um, so maybe just tell me a little bit about disc golf as a whole and, and how this sport is kind of taking off here in Kamloops. Yeah, so um, our office is located on MacArthur Island, just down from the disc golf course, which just recently opened up. Um, so seeing that we had brew loops um, happening on the island, uh, we thought it'd be a great way to sort of build the interest of the disc golf sport and uh, utilize the new course that we have on MacArthur Island. So um, hops and heisers, uh, the title sort of came from, you know, the beer, and then heisers is a throw with the disc golf. So it was a, sort of a catchy uh, title for the first year of our disc golf tournament. And how has the reception been for that uh, new course? I know it was sort of unofficially opened earlier in the summer, and, and I know signs just went in uh, a few weeks ago, not too long ago. Um, I guess just what has the reception been like for the course as a whole? I mean, have you seen a, have you seen a lot of players coming and, and taking part and practicing up there on MacArthur Island? Definitely. There's been lots of action back there. I know that they've hosted a few tournaments and uh, league play back there. Um, so, yeah, I believe that uh, it's a great addition to our city and all that we have to offer. So the course is in great shape, and we're excited to uh, have some players out there this weekend. Now, Elsa, I guess let's just talk more about specifically this event, Hops and Heiser. So um, it's uh, $60 for people to come out and play, and uh, obviously there's a couple of different categories. I mean, maybe just tell me a little bit about the different skill levels that you need to be able to do this. Um, you know, when people hear a tournament, they might be a little bit intimidated thinking it's a super competitive event, but I don't believe that that's the case here. No, not at all. This is a very laid-back uh, tournament for sure. Uh, so $60 is for a team of two. Uh, so it's a best disc format. Uh, so as you said, there are two divisions. So there's an open division for those who have uh, possibly played disc golf before and they're looking for a little bit more of a competitive uh, tournament. Um, and then there's also the recreation division. So those are for the people that potentially have never thrown a disc before, um, those who are just looking for, uh, you know, just have a little bit of laid-back fun on the Saturday um, afternoon and uh, enjoy their time out on the new course. Now, you said it's a doubles tournament, so if I don't uh, know anyone that else, else that plays in the city, I guess, can I come alone, or do I have to have a partner, or how does that work? The registration has to uh, be with a team of two. Uh, we don't want to have, uh, you know, possibly the risk of uh, one person being there and then uh, not having a partner um, available at the time. So it would be best to sign up as a team of two on the uh, registration system. Perfect. Um, now, do I have to yeah. sign up online, or can I come in person on Saturday morning? Um, we do have registration open currently right now on uh, Disc Golf Scene. Um, so if you type in at the top uh, on the search bar, Hops and Heisers, uh, that tournament will come up and you will be able to pay for registration online. Uh, we will be accepting registration uh, on the day of as well if that's best for you. Perfect. And uh, for those who do come out and register, obviously, um, you know, it's going to be a, a fun time disc golfing, um, a nice uh, checkout addition to the MacArthur Island Park. Um, what all does uh, that money get you? I think you kind of went over it a little bit, but um, I understand, you know, you might be able to also get a, a beer ticket as well, or what else comes with yeah. your, your $30? 
That is correct. You have that there. Uh, so registration comes with a disc um, as well as one free beer ticket for you to enjoy at the festivities after your round. Um, so it is a family-friendly event on Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, so if you have uh, children uh, under the age of 19, they are able to participate in this tournament as well as join uh, the family-friendly portion of Burloops on Saturday. Perfect. I'm here with uh, Elsa Poppleton, coordinator for the Hops and Heisers event taking place this Saturday on MacArthur Island in conjunction with uh, Brew Loops. And I understand you had mentioned to me as well that uh, you're, you're helping out with Brew Loops too. So, I mean, maybe just tell me a little bit about what's uh, the plan here for this weekend and sort of how it really is intertwined with this event. Yes, um, so with the disc golf happening on the Saturday, um, Sports Council has been involved with um, some of the planning with Brew Loops, and uh, the VIP section with Brew Loops will be on our back deck, uh, which will be a, a beautiful spot to be for the uh, both evenings. Um, we'll have 25 breweries and Saturdays coming from all over, uh, great music both nights, and uh, lots of fun. Awesome. Um, so obviously you don't have to be taking part in the disc golf tournament in order to enjoy some brew loops at MacArthur Island. Um, uh, I guess, what, what, what is the schedule looking like in terms of the whole event? Uh, you know, I know people can obviously look it up online and those going probably already know, but just to reiterate, uh, you know, what, what, what's the schedule like for the weekend? For sure. So Friday, uh, Brew Loops will be open. Uh, there'll be music and uh, many of the breweries and Saturdays will be there from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, Saturday, as I mentioned, uh, family-friendly from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, there will be a little break uh, from 4 to 6 um, and then 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. on Saturday with uh, lots of music and festivities going on um, and that portion of the evening will be a 19-plus event. Perfect. Well, I think that covers most of uh, what I was looking to have uh, from you here today. Elsa, anything else that you want to add before I let you go? Yeah, yeah, we would love to have all the participants and uh, come enjoy your round of golf, our disc golf um, at the new course. There'll be lots of prizes to be won and plenty of door prizes as well, so we'd love to see you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for doing this, and I uh, just looked up the weather here on Saturday, and it looks like it should be a sunny day, although not too warm, but uh, the sun was definitely uh, nice to enjoy this time of year. So thanks so much for doing this, yeah. Elsa. I really appreciate your time, and hopefully everything goes well this weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Elsa Poppleton, coordinator for Hops and Heisers, taking place this Saturday morning at MacArthur Island. Now, I've since been told that registration is closed online, but there may still be opportunities to sign up in person with registration set to begin at 11, tee off at 11.30. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with the leader of the BC Green Party after this. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back in here on this Thursday morning on September 26th. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. Yesterday, the leader of BC's Green Party addressed the Union of BC Municipalities Convention. What was his message and what points were he trying to get across? Well, here to talk about this is the man himself, BC Green Party leader, Andrew Weaver. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. A pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, I mean, maybe just give me a quick start by uh, giving me a, a rundown of how UBCM has gone for you so far this week. I mean, uh, obviously a lot of people down there and a, a lot of people probably interested in speaking with you. Uh, just, just how's the week gone so far? 
Well, I, I was only able to uh, be there for the day yesterday. I unfortunately was taken out and spent five days in hospital two weeks ago with vestibular neuritis, and uh, it was a real trying time for me to get over there. But I, I was there for the day. It was, uh, you know, obviously a thorough discussion. There's lots of good, good back and forth. I just came back exhausted, and here I am back in Victoria today. Uh, fortunately, I have my colleagues Adam Olson and Sonia Firstenow are there, and I look forward to an update from them when they get back uh, tomorrow. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your illness. How are you feeling right now? Uh, Dizzy, anyone listening who's ever had vestibular issues like labyrinthitis or, or neuritis, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It could take months to recover, but it's uh, slow but steady every day. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, you realize with events like this just how fragile life really is, and uh, you have to put your body first at times, and that's what I, but I didn't want to cancel my talk, so because I spent a lot of time prepping that up, and uh, I went over for the day, I was driven over because I can't drive right now, but on the mend. Well, uh, I'm happy that you were able to, uh, you know, attend UBCM yesterday, and uh, thank you so much for attending uh, this uh, talk show here this morning. I really appreciate you doing this, despite you feeling a little bit under the weather. Um, well, you're actually the, fir the first media interview I've done in two weeks, actually. Oh, well, I feel honored, so thanks, Andrea. I appreciate that. Um, so tell me a little bit about your address yesterday at UBCM, I guess. What, what was the message you were trying to get across? Well, as, as in the news, as you can tell, the, obviously the issue of climate change is front and center on everyone's TV screens, radio, you know, daily you pick up the newspaper. And I got into politics as a cl as climate scientist. I spent 20 years, uh, 25 years actually, uh, working in the area. I left the University of Victoria to run as a BC Green candidate in 2013 because I, I couldn't fathom what I was seeing going on in this province uh, in terms of uh, a lack of attention to uh, the, the, the grand challenge that is global warming, but also the incredible opportunity that it, that it also provides us. And that's what I was focusing on. Not not the challenge, but the opportunity. Highlighting the successes in BC by businesses in you know down in uh, Okanagan Falls. Now, uh, Structure Lamb is a type of business that actually is building on our strengths that we have in BC. You know, we have in British Columbia three strategic advantages over every other jurisdiction in the world. Uh, each and every one of us knows that this is the most beautiful place in the world to live, and that's important because we can attract and retain the best and brightest in the world, and they bring with them the knowledge to uh, to create innovation and the industries that can follow if we create the environment that will allow them to stay. We also got one of the best education systems in the world uh, and we see that year after year in terms of the international assessments and we have outstanding uh, post-secondary institutions including uh, in Kamloops there, Thompson Rivers. That was the second strategic advantage. And the third one is we have boundless renewable energy, water, and fiber. And so I was trying to you know, focus the attention of people there to recognize that, you know, we are elected as leaders not only to put in place policies that will ensure we get re-election. In fact, I think that should be at the back of our minds. What we really should be doing is thinking about the long-term consequences of our decisions and recognizing that every challenge that is presented to us is really nothing more than an opportunity, an opportunity for innovation. And, and I highlighted things like uh, here's another company, Unbuilders in Vancouver, a really interesting company. You know, we think traditionally that if there's an old house, we should go in and demolish it and build a new house. The Unbuilders are, are a thriving company that recognize that these older homes actually can be deconstructed. And in the end, because of the valuable, you know, rough cut old growth that is in this, they, it actually costs less 
to deconstruct an old house and, and take and recycle and resell the parts than it does to demolish it. It's, you know, this kind of remarkable in, innovation. General Fusion, a leading uh, innovator in, in fusion energy. There's, uh, I talked about portable electricity. It's Portable Electric, a, a Vancouver-based company that's uh, d- building diesel replacement generator electric with lithium-ion batteries. I talked about Corvus Energy, a BC-based company that's providing uh, electrical storage systems for marine transport around the world. And uh, all, all of this is happening in BC. We in BC often forget the opportunities that we have. We in BC often think that we must do more of the same which is just what we did in the last century, digging dirt out of the ground and thinking somehow we're going to compete. What I was trying to say is that we, we, you know, we have opportunities here. We should capitalize on these because we have everything to, to do that. And it means bringing, for example, our tech sector together with our resource sector. It means focusing on innovation. It means actually making sure that we focus on prosperity that is local. You know, we often think somehow the best economic advantage for BC is to take our resources and ship them raw elsewhere. That doesn't actually value add us. It doesn't provide prosperity. Prosperity comes from the innovation associated with the value added, and we got it all here. Let's focus on it. That was kind of my message. It was an upbeat, positive message that the challenge of global warming is really nothing more than a grand opportunity for innovation in our province. Uh, here with Green Party, BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver. A uh, lot, lot of stuff there. Obviously, uh, you know, probably quite, a, quite an extensive bit of information that you just gave me there in a couple of minutes. But uh, when you're talking uh, off the top, you had mentioned one of the things that you were trying to present was that when you're talking about policy, you got to be looking more so at, you know, what are the long-term impacts of the things that you're putting in place as opposed to just looking at getting re-elected? And when you're talking to right. a room full of politicians, I mean, that how is that message received? I mean, when you're talking maybe with municipal leaders, that maybe isn't as big of a concern, uh, but when you're talking with, obviously, the provincial and federal people, that, that does become more of a, an issue for them as wanting to be re-elected and making sure they retain their seats. So just how was that message overall received when you're talking about looking more so at the long-term benefits of what policy brings and, and sort of how it's going to affect the general policy population as opposed to how it's going to affect you in an election. I'm pretty sure a number of people felt quite uncomfortable by that comment. I mean, here's a classic example. How often do we see in elections people campaigning on reducing hip and knee replacement lineups? Obviously, they can do that. They throw a bit of money at it. Four years later, you point and say, look, I've done this. I've responded to you uh, and vote me back in. Uh, it's a, it's a short-term, uh, short-time uh, uh, kind of overhaul. We look, at, we look at the last campaign in B.C. We have the NDP promising to remove uh, tolls on the Portman Bridge. It's utterly fiscally irresponsible for them to do that, but it, sure, it buys a couple of votes that, you know, you can do it and say, look, I've done this, I get reelected. But what about the more difficult problem, the more difficult issue of saying, you know what, we have a transportation crisis in the Lower Maynard, or our broad-scale forest policy in BC is, is outdated. It's not working. We are suffering, and it's been going on for, for not just the last two years, but for more than a decade. Why aren't we thinking about the long-term restructuring of forest policy as opposed to, you know, uh, short term fixes here and there that will try to get us through the next election. And that's the difference, I think, between our political party and and, and the others is that, uh, you know, my colleagues and I uh, got into politics, not to make it a career path, but rather as a point of principle to try to actually steer British Columbia in a direction that we think is actually in the best long-term interest. If I don't get re-elected, well, so be it. 
that's what the people's choice is. I'm not here to 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 spend 20 years in politics. I'm here to to give what I can, hoping that there is a reception to it and move in that direction. Why are we not looking at the timber lot licensing sales across BC? Why do we continue to have a few multinationals uh, owning so much of a, of our crown resource and determining when they want to cut or not based on decisions being made south of the border or elsewhere? Why is it we ship raw logs elsewhere? Why is it we 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 we, we don't have the, the kind of prosperity in our local communities. Why are we not building on community forests? I mean, there's so many examples of what we could be doing in BC, focusing on the long term, but instead everyone's thinking about a quick fix onto the next election and move forward. And that that's kind of, that was essentially the focus. And I and I, coming back to your point, I I think some people felt uncomfortable, but there were a lot in the audience. We've seen a real turnover in local governments, younger people, a lot who felt resonance with that with that message. Andrew, I'll get you out of here on this. Just when you're talking about a lot of those things that you had mentioned, I mean, there, some of that is really difficult when we're talking about um, municipalities' role in some of those yeah. policies that, uh, and obviously you're addressing a room full of uh, municipal leaders when you're talking about the Union of BC Municipalities yeah. Convention. So I guess what is the role of municipalities in some of those things that you had mentioned in terms of the environmental policy and moving forward? How does the, how do individual municipalities uh, partake in that agenda? Part of what my message was is that I believe that our, our party, the BC Greens, are here for local governments to ensure that we help convey the message, that they be given the tools that they need to do what's best interest in their constituents. We know that the best representation locally is coming from your local governments. We know that they're putting front and center your local community interests, but often their requests are, are met on deaf ears when they move up, the, up uh, uh, to the province. What we were saying is that we are here, we understand that, and Provinces must facilitate the ability for local governments to capitalize on these opportunities. One very simple example that's relevant to where I live in Victoria is over the plastic ban, bag ban. Now, I know some local governments don't want that, but I know the city of Victoria does. But the recent Court of Appeal ruled that they couldn't do it because the province needs to be consulted and they have jurisdiction over this area. These are the kind of things that the province needs to, to, to divest its authority over or at least grant permissions with certain guidelines that will allow local governments to do what's best in, in, in the best interest of their own local communities. Well, Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. I know you're, uh, like you said, you're not feeling very well, so best of luck in your recovery. Hopefully you feel better soon, and thanks again for, for joining me. I really appreciate your time. A pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. That was BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver after he addressed the UBCM yesterday. Coming up after the break, the federal election is just 25 days away, and among major issues is climate change. I'll be talking more about some of those policies with the representative of Clean Energy Canada after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. And as always, thanks so much for tuning in. Climate change is an issue that is top of mind for many right now. It's making headlines this week, which marked a climate action summit which took place in New York. And of course, it is a major topic here during the Canadian election. It is the, the third most important issue, according to some polls, just below health care in costs of living and just ahead of taxes and housing. Hard to believe that taxes is the fourth most important issue for some in this election. Now, with climate change being such a big issue and here in Election 43, parties are starting to unveil their platforms on the issue, including the Liberals, who say if re-elected, it would have the corporate tax rate for companies that develop or manufacture products with zero emissions. And, of course, it says it will aim for net zero emissions by 2050. Here to talk about this plan is Trevor Melanson with Clean Energy Canada. Trevor, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. 
So, what are your just initial thoughts on this liberal plan? Obviously, uh, you know, not not a ton of detail, but I mean, do you think it's aggressive enough to say that it, aiming for net zero emissions by 2050 is is an acceptable target? Sure. I think you know one thing we must uh, understand first of all is that uh, you know the liberals are are building on climate policy that's been implemented especially over the last few years, right? Because we're talking about the party that is currently in power. So we need to look at what they've done over the last few years. Um, and, you know, what they have implemented through policy so far gets us three-quarters of the way to our 2030 climate targets. Now, that's policies like um, pricing pollution, one called the Clean Fuel Standard. A lot of people don't know about it, but it's actually the next biggest climate policy uh, at a federal level. There's, you know, the phase-out of coal power. Um, there's money for, for clean tech, for energy efficiency, um, and uh, there's rebates for electric cars and, and like, uh, dozens of policies I'm not mentioning. So, so there's already a suite of policies that are in place. And so a lot of the detail in terms of, you know, getting us to that next step is, are, you know, frankly wonky policies that are already in place. And, and so that's, that's kind of the foundation of climate policy that we have now in this country. Um, and so the announcements that we're seeing now, we saw a couple yesterday that you mentioned, and we expect to see more this week, are, are building on those, building on that foundation. So, you know, you know, for 75% of, of the way there, you can imagine getting to 100%. That, of course, is just our 2030 target, right? And getting to getting from 30% reductions in 2030 to, you know, 100% reductions in 2050, which is what we're talking about, would require a lot more action. So, I mean, the, the, what the Liberals said uh, the other day was that basically that not only would 2050, net zero by 2050 be the target, but that every five years that they would update, um, update those targets, right? So it's something where, you know, we have a plan for the next few years, but we need to keep updating that plan over and over. And this is an, an ongoing process, essentially. Um, but one thing I, I guess I took from this um, was, you know, they want to aim for net zero by 2050. And, and you look at other parties, I know like the Green Party was talking about getting uh, all new vehicles to be electric powered by 2030. And it just feels a lot more aggressive, uh, maybe not necessarily as realistic, I guess. Is, is that sort of how you're taking some of these, uh, I guess, combative or, or um, um, you know, alternate plans that other parties are putting out and, and saying, you know, they're going to have much more aggressive targets? Do you view those as maybe not being realistic and, and 2050? just being something that's more attainable? Well, I, I think that, I mean, it, it depends on the, on the policy. Um, of course, right, you know, a, a faster policy can, can be more challenging, but we, we, do, we do need to be ambitious at the same time. Um, you know, I, I think that the targets are, are good is sort of uh, beacons to, to head toward, but, um, you know, fighting climate change, it isn't, it isn't binary. It isn't you hit one target by one date and you fail or you win whether or not you do that, right? It's always about doing more and, and not doing less. So, I mean, you know, in terms of electric vehicles right now, for example, uh, we, we, so the federal government does have a target to uh, have all new car sales be electric by 2040. It's not mandated into law, but it is a target that's there. Um, and, you know, the B.C. government, for example, has, uh, has, one, has, has that same target, but it is mandated into law. It's called the um, zero emission vehicle standard. So it's law in BC that all new cars will be, uh, new car sales will be electric by 2040, and that that ramps up over time. Um, so it'd be nice to see something like that at a federal uh, level to legislate it into law. Um, so you know that that's again that's 2040 versus 2030, and you know it's a technology like 
like iPhones or something where it could take off, you know, faster than that. And it seems to be going that way right now. So, you know, I, I think over the, there's what is what government sort of legislate into law, and I think we'll see certain things take off perhaps even even faster than people think. And I think electric cars are a good example of that. You know, whether we get to 100 percent by 2030, which would be very soon, um, or 2040 or 2034, you know, sooner is always better, um, but it's, it's ultimately a scale. Um, and, and when we're talking about uh, his other part of this plan that was release, released this week, when we're saying um, he's going to have the taxes for those that are aiming to uh, manufacture products with zero emissions. I know, uh, you know, you look at some of the other plans that are out there, like um, Andrew Scheer says he's going to, you know, have a green home tax credit uh, to help people, you know, obviously, um, you know, reduce the emissions on their home. Um, he also talks about um, uh, what carbon capture technology and exporting cleaner fuels to China and India. So, I mean, there's a lot of very Variation, I guess, sort of on, on uh, some similar concepts. Um, but do you think that, um, you know, with, with having a tax credit for people who are trying to manufacture products with zero emissions, I mean, it's still, it's still going to be a tax and it's just going to be halved of what it is now. Um, is that enough incentive? I mean, what are your thoughts just sort of on that specific part of this plan um, in order to try to obviously ma- uh, develop more technology that is going to produce zero emission? Obviously, that's going to help aim for that zero emission by 2050 target. Um, is that is that aggressive enough? Is that uh, something that you think um, will allow companies to continue to do the research that they're doing now? Or, or, you know, is there maybe a better plan or something else out there that you see as something that might be a better alternative? Sure. So, so two points. So, you know, when talking about the, um, the, the policy, the, the tax rebate that came into play or that was announced the other day, um, again, that, that is an additional policy, you know, added to a suite of policies. And I think that one it would reduce emissions. I'm not sure by how much, but I think a, a large part of that one is also it's an economic policy. Um, you know, the clean energy sector here in Canada, we, we at our organization modeled it in May, uh, already employs 300,000 Canadians. And we're seeing, you know, job growth in that sector is 60% faster than the job growth across our economy. So the clean energy sector is a great opportunity. And, I mean, if you ask most Canadians, you know, what's the big opportunity in 10, 20 years, you get pretty high numbers of people saying, yeah, clearly this is the big opportunity. So, I mean, I see this largely as a policy to try to keep Canadian energy sector, clean clean energy companies extra competitive, to, to, to retain them and keep them here and even to attract them from other countries. We often see policy where there are big tax breaks um, coming into the country, right? You see that with like film and video game industries here in Canada, uh, when there are very favorable tax regimes, those companies often move into this country. So, you know, I think that this is partly an attempt to give a very favorable tax regime to clean the clean energy sector, which we want to be strong here in Canada. And, and this could not only help retain companies, but, but attract them here. So I think it's partly an economic policy. And yes, there will be uh, you know, I, I would expect there would be emissions reductions out of it as well. So, but on the, um, on the, on the conservative front, I think what I would say, because you, you mentioned um, some of the policies mm-hmm. there, that, you know, it's a lot of policy, right? It's hard to penetrate for, for your average person. I, I mentioned there are dozens of these policies. How, how do you wrap your head around all of this? I think that it, you know, stepping back and looking at the high level is what matters here. When we talk about climate change policy, we're talking about policies that reduce emissions. Specifically, that's what we're talking about. Um, and so what you, the number one thing you need to do is you need to look at all the policies that the federal government, has, or sorry, the, uh, the party in question has announced and, and find if there's a source that basically says, here's what the emissions impact will be. 
Well, Trevor, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. And unfortunately, we have run out of time. But uh, again, thanks so much for joining me. That was uh, Trevor Melanson with Clean Energy Canada. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. So thanks again to all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, really appreciate your ears here on this lovely Thursday. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time. While it lasted, I'll be back here on Friday morning at 9. See you then.